Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Fifty one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One, fly ball, deep left center. Chris on the run. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Center. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. This is a retake of episode 148, as I am an idiot and failed to understand technology. But today's episode, as my actual handler, uh, the person who has to hold my hand to do this stuff, is back. Um, today's episode brought to you by TakeLine. Sports, culture, takes. TakeLine has it all. TakeLine is a weekly podcast hosted by Emmy winner, Jason Concepcion, and former WNBA champ Renee Montgomery. It's a fast-paced exploration of the NBA and the entire world of sports and culture. Each week, Jason and Renee talk about the big games, players, controversies, and issues that run both on and off the court. Follow now to hear Take Line every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. So, Doc. Yes? You know who else today's episode is brought to you by? If I had to guess, I would say it's brought to you or brought to us by Locker Room. Absolutely, it yes. is. Still Locker got it. Room, the the audio only live sports talk platform that's free to download and to use. Uh, if you have an Apple device or if you have an Android device, you're all invited. Locker Room is here for everybody. It's free to download. You can talk to me. You can talk to other fans, athletes, insiders, whoever happens to be on Locker Room. You can get into that room and listen to them perfect for watch parties, debates, post games, uh, breaking news, whatever. You can share all your own experiences. Basically, you can just come on to my show and I will let you speak as long as you're not a complete moron. Uh, I don't like to mute people. I like to have everybody talk, so that's why you should always be listening and be on the lookout for the uh, for the locker room tweets that we do. It's uh, starter join ongoing conversations. You can talk with other sports fans, blah, blah, blah. I host every Thursday at 9. That's all you really need to know. 9 p.m., or I host most Thursdays at 9, when I don't have uh, other things happening. All you got to do is download the Locker Room app. It's 
free. Like I said, create a profile, link your Twitter, join the group. You can follow me uh, at TPS underscore podcast. Uh, eventually, we'll make Doc get on there, too. And we go live every Thursday at 9, so come on and talk some Braves baseball with us. All right, so speaking of that Braves team, are we kind of doing the good-bad sandwich today? Yeah, I mean, let, uh, let's start with the obvious one, even though it may not be as bad as it initially appeared. Marcelo Zuna hurt himself, and it looked bad, and it wound up not being as bad as it looked. Yeah, it was pretty gross. Uh, six weeks with dislocated and fractured fingers. Um, that generally is a pretty easy diagnosis when you see that the fingers are not pointing in the correct direction. Um, it's one of those where he got his left hand caught in the spikes of, um, uh, what's his name, over at third base, Rafael Devers. Um, one of those plays that's, anytime you see it happen, you think, oh man, there should be, there should be a rule that says that fielders aren't allowed to stay in that baseline like that. But really, that's just one of those fluke kind of plays. Uh, it's it's easy in hindsight to be like, oh, that just shouldn't be allowed. In reality, that's such a rare play for that to happen in that way. It literally had to happen exactly the way it did for him to get hurt. Unfortunately for the Braves and unfortunately for Marcel, it did happen that way. If this happened last year, you would look at that and say, man, this team is hosed. You know, for, for a number of reasons. Because what Marcel brings is, you know, he's obviously... When he is right, he is one of the best hitters in baseball. You saw it last year. But what he brings to the dugout, and even this year, for as much as he's struggled, he seems to pretty much be the same guy. He's still acting a fool in the dugout all the time. He's still taking a selfie when he's going up first base. And people can debate the merits of his, quote-unquote, ability to do that when he's hitting the way that he is. But last year, not only would you be losing the production from somebody who got MVP votes, who's hitting in the middle of the lineup, protecting Freddie, blah, blah, blah. But you also, you pull that that clubhouse presence. You pull that dugout presence because everybody was being so paranoid about COVID stuff that, I mean, they weren't even letting rain delays go on for more than half an hour. It's like, nope, everybody get out of here. We'll just see you tomorrow. So this year, not only have things kind of eased a little bit, and we and once again, you can debate the merits of why that is or, or, or what that means, but... He should be able to still be around. It'll be six weeks, but he will still be around the team. You know, his mix-it-up finger or fingers, as it were, uh, will be in a cast. But, uh, you know, he'll still be there. And truthfully, out of everybody who's in the lineup right now, Ozuna is the one guy that's kind of expendable. Go back to 2020 and tell us that, that he would get hurt and we'd be like, "Mm, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Go back to 2020 and tell us that. Marcelo Zuna in 2021 would be a glove first light hitting outfielder. Yeah, he basically became Ender Ciarte making twice the money. I mean, and, and to be fair, I didn't expect, like, I really thought Marcel was on the verge of breaking out, but I've thought that numerous times at points this year. Uh, he had been putting better swings on the ball and going to right field and right center a lot more often, which for him is usually a pretty telltale sign. The big thing for him this year has been that he just can't hit fastballs, which is so un Marcelo Zuna like. Uh, that and he's been swinging at, at breakers out of the zone, which again, not generally what he does. The good news is at six weeks, he'll be back. You'd figure he'd probably have, he'll have to have some sort of rehab stint, I would imagine. Uh, but he should be back right after the All-Star break, week or two after the All-Star break, which gives him plenty of time to get ready for the postseason if the Braves are able to get to there to that point. Um, it does kind of open up to uh, this this juxtaposition the Braves find themselves in of how do you go about filling that? Because even though Marcel wasn't playing particularly well, it's a very weird one to have to fill because you're having to fill the number three spot in your lineup. You don't 
have a ton of outfield depth on the roster because they're all having to be used because Heredia's having to start and Ender has been basically platooning with Heredia. Uh, and you don't really have a ton in the minors as far as established former big league established players that you can just say, all right, let's plug them in. There's really not, there's a lot of different ways they could patch this together, but not many that I think inspire like a ton of confidence as far as we'll just call this person up and insert them into the, insert them into the starting lineup. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I really would. And I think Austin Riley is where it gets kind of tricky here, right? Because he, yeah, he was National League Player of the Week. We've seen what he's turned into, turned back into in the past week or so. I mean, he's even, he hit better last week than he did like that first two-week span. Yeah, yeah 12 when, when hits he first and six up. of them were bombs. Yeah, and, and not not exactly wall scrapers, you know. And that, that series that he had against Pittsburgh, and you could start to see it a little bit during the Mets series as well when, when he started to really step up there. So he has experience in left field. You could put him there, and you could put him third in the lineup. And, and I don't think that that would be tricky. Then the question becomes, what do you do to fill Riley's spot? You know, Orlando Arcia is hitting really well down in Gwinnett. You could, in theory, call him up and put him at third. He's got the time at short, so it might not be one for one. What you're sacrificing on defense versus what you what you would get with the bat. And it also brings to mind, yeah, he's doing it in AAA, but he was never fully able to put it together uh, when he was with Milwaukee, so maybe that's not the best way. I know that there's some people that are saying this is Drew Waters' time, and I, I like Drew Waters, but I don't think that he's ready yet. Um and then there's the question of, well, maybe Pache will be back soon, but I think he's still hurt. I mean, and like you said, just there are answers, but none of them are really confidence-inspiring. And it's too early in the season to make any type of impactful trade, not to mention... There, I'll disagree with you. It's never too early. Somebody has to, somebody has to break the seal. I don't know, necessarily know if they would make the trade for for what is currently looking like six weeks or, or marcel said in his instagram post that you know he's got to rehab or he's got to rest it for six weeks and then we'll, we'll basically see what happens there so the the all-star game timeline seems pretty much about right it's when you have these options and, and the last thing you want is to call up abraham albante you know <laughs> yeah there that's that's one of the things now i will say uh i i'm i'm not arguing that you could put austin in left field i would not um, for the simple reason, with any time that you move players around, particularly when they're young, it tends to have an adverse effect on their offense because now they have to now they have to spend more of their focus on, or they have to split their focus rather uh, to making sure that they adjust to the defensive position. And Riley's had some issues with the arm accuracy at third, especially the easy play. Um, but going back to left field would be completely changing the mindset again. And I just don't think that the Braves want to do that. Throw in the fact that he's going to have more tired legs running around in the outfield than he would at third base. I, I just, I'm not arguing that they could do it, and it might end up theoretically being, or on paper, being the best way to get better bats into the lineup. I don't, I really don't think they're going to go that route. I think as long as Austin is one of the few carrying the team, they're not going to touch him for fear that if they move him. It's going. It's going to affect his offense. Uh, I think, personally, I think you'll. I think you'll just see them roll with Heredia and left, and Ender in center, and live with some bad offense from Ender versus lefties. We don't face a ton of lefties, so it's not like that really matters. Um, you're you're going to get worse offense that route, but I mean, you just hope that Heredia doesn't come back down to earth anytime soon. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. I, 
one of the other ones is, is are they going to call up Travis Demerick? Because Travis is absolutely raking at AAA. I don't know. Um, it would seem weird to me that they would call up Travis just to leave him on the bench. Now, it's not like you couldn't do that. I'm, I'm a little bit biased here because I'm a big Travis Demerick fan, so I would hate to see that. Um, but that's certainly, it's certainly in the realm of possibility. He's not starting tonight at Gwinnett for what that's worth. Um, personally, though, I think if you were going to do that and you're just talking about having somebody at the back end of the bench, Jason Kipnis just got activated not too long ago. He's a guy that can play second. He can play corner outfield, too. And really, if you're just keeping him on the back end of the bench, he's a guy that's been that route before. Personally, I still think that the most likely scenario is going to just be shift Heredia to left, have Ender play center, and then call up Kipnis to be that last guy on the bench. I'd be all in on the trade market, though. But I would have been all in on the trade market before Marcel went down, just to be honest with you, because I'm looking at this team and, and saying... I think I still think the Braves are, are a playoff team. I want to be 100% assured that they're as good of a team as they can possibly be. No, and, and I agree. And, and I also want to point out that, that I do agree with you that I, I don't necessarily think they should move Riley. I'm just saying that if, based on the current architecture of where things were, that's the... That's going to be number one in most people's mind just because they've seen him play outfield. But it's similar to having Acuna in center versus having him in right. When you're talking about uh, legs getting tired and having to shift your perspective, sometimes the tiniest little things, man. Baseball players are creatures of habit. The last thing you want to do is mess with somebody who's on a heater, and Riley's on a heater right now. And Kipnis is a bench option. Is probably That's probably a really good one. He's got plenty of major league experience, and it granted it wouldn't be the same as Pablo Sandoval, having him in a, a pinch hit situation. But for somebody who's been around, I mean, Kipnis was, was pretty good with Cleveland for – Oh, six, seven years, you know, he's, he's got the experience in there and a uh, good, good veteran type guy. You know how much Snitker appreciates a good veteran. So that's probably the route that they'll go. And I think, I do think, you know, we, we mentioned earlier in the season, it's, it's too early to panic. And, and that's, um, that's accurate, but you can start to not necessarily panic, but you can start to assess whether or not it is time to panic right around Memorial day. And that's in like, what is it? That's in five days. So, so you could have, you could see a couple guys out there. You know, teams like uh, Pittsburgh, Colorado. Strangely enough, the Minnesota Twins, who I've had finally winning a playoff game this year, they're probably going to sell soon. So, um, there could be someone out there. And Alex, you know, he he made the trade for Arcia when we were least expecting it, like literally least expecting it then. So, um, you know, he could be he could be active out there, but. We'll see. the The Travis idea is is probably right there. Um, as well, it'll be top of mind because if if you're running Acuna, Heredia, and Ciarte as an outfield, then that does leave you um, kind of shorthanded on the uh, on the bench there. I guess you've got Adrianza, but his his home is in the dirt. I think so. Uh, there will be some shuffling as it stands now. We're about 20 minutes before first pitch on the Wednesday night game against the Red Sox. They are opting to not make a roster move. Uh, before that game, so tomorrow, Thursday, the 27th, being an off day, uh, that's when we'll get resolution on this. Yeah, and I, I still, I would like to see it go the trade route because I think that there's some ways that the Braves could have in, could have made the club better through the trade route anyway. I mean, I'm all in with Baltimore, John Means, and Cedric Mullins, or Anthony Santander. You had said Santander before to me, and I said, eh, it's probably going to cost too much. Well, if Marcel's going to be out for any real length of time, uh, and I do still believe that at some point Guillermo Heredia will probably regress back to being Guillermo Heredia. Um, Santander is an excellent player. Cedric Mullins just makes a ton of sense because especially 
you and I believing that Pache definitely needs time with the pitch recognition. Mullins is an elite yeah. defender, elite defender, um, and very, very fast and hitting very well also. Um, so I still think that that would be the best. Oh, we don't need a starting pitcher. The starting pitching has been awesome. That's cool. Um, I love that Smiley's had three good starts in a row. We'll see if he can make it four tonight. John Means is still better. And <laughs> if you can get better and you pushing a good starting pitcher into being an elite bullpen guy, which would then take one bullpen guy, like, I don't know, Grant Dayton, and move him out of the bullpen, I'm going that route. But you're paying $11 million. Well, I'd rather pay you $11 million to be elite at something than pay you $11 million to be okay at something, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, a... If I have to pay you $11 million either way, I'd rather make the team better. Uh, so there, there's a number of ways that they could tackle that. You mentioned the Pirates. That's one that I'd keep an eye on, too. Um, Richard Rodriguez should have already been a target for the Braves. Just right-handed, elite reliever. Uh, the Braves definitely have need of that. Even getting Shane Green back, because I know people are putting a lot into the Shane Green basket. But... That's that's still asking quite a lot. Like Green wasn't bad by any means. Green was good. He was not elite though. Uh, and expecting him to come in and, and be you know the elite guy, maybe a little bit different. So uh, I would look for for Richard Rodriguez too. And I, I would try to get onto the Pirates early. I mean, if you can offer them something decent, they're riding high off of that Jamison Tyone deal, which is looking a lot better right now than it did when the deal was made. I mean, you could you could get somebody. You could get some pieces. Maybe you could get an Adam Frazier uh, to pair with a Richard Rodriguez. Maybe you go crazy over the top and get a Brian Reynolds. I don't know. There, there's a number of ways that you could approach that. Uh, whether or not you want to say, like, now that would require you making a, a decision on some of your prospects. Um, but there there are certainly different methods that the Braves could utilize to kind of patch this hole. And I think that truthfully, the thing the thing about Shane Green, it kind of is similar to me with when Max Freed came off the IL. It's not so much that Max Freed, the performer, is back. It's that Max Freed, the dude, was back. You know, just having him there and knowing he's your ace and knowing that what he is capable of doing. Now, I'm not expecting Shane Green to show up and and be just elite level, but I, I do think just having him there and having him replace the worst guy, you know, push push out the worst guy. And Green will not be the worst guy when he, when he steps in the bullpen either. So, um, it's the impact is there whether or not you're talking about what you're getting out of him or what he is his presence is getting out of other guys. So. It'll still probably be, I don't know, could be a week or two before we see him. But he he would be a really, I think, I'm not trying to do the chip thing where it's like, oh, it's like you're making a making a big acquisition at the at the trade deadline. But I mean, there there is a little bit of merit uh, to something like that. Just having him step in doesn't have to be elite, you know. So, um, but yeah, going out and getting a guy like Rodriguez. I mean, we saw how good he was in the one game the Pirates won in uh, in that series against the Braves before the. Braves offense decided to uh, show up and absolutely just step on the gas and outscore them 33-3 to over the next three games. So um, I would imagine somebody is going to try and get out ahead of the trade market sometime in the next three weeks. Um, their advantage is to setting the market. You know, you maybe you get a little less than you thought in some cases if you're really aggressively trying to move somebody, but in some cases you might get more. I mean, the Mets just were gifted Khalil Lee 
uh, from the Royals. I think that they had expressed interest in him once upon a time. And then when a trade was coming together, they needed a third partner. And they're like, hey, we'll give you Khalil Lee. And they're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, Why? but Khalil Lee's not good, though. Well, they still got him. He's a highly ranked. He's a highly ranked prospect. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, going from prospects, the Royals, are, prospects yeah. are lottery tickets. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. No, but you're absolutely right on that. And if you're the team that sets the market, then you get to then what you set also affects everybody else. Think of the Mets. You know when they were making those spat of horrendous trades under Brody Van Wagenen, they were basically setting the market with those awful deals, and it kind of tanked the trade market for every other buying team. You're like, dude, I'm not paying that much for that guy. Because every team that's selling is like, well, the Mariners just got Jared Kelenic for the corpse of Robinson Cano. And everybody else is like, yeah, I'm not doing that because I'm not the Mets. Yeah, that was a stupid trade. So <laughs> that's honestly, that's the reason why you had to give up Travis Demmer and Joey Wentz to get Shane Green in the first place. Like, you know, <laughs> there's, there's different levels of this stuff. Like, if you're the team that sets the market then especially if you're that first buying team that makes that first move, then you get to most of the time you'll be the most comfortable with that deal because you're the only person who's really making an offer at that point. Everybody else is kind of in the wait-and-see approach. You're in the, hey, I'm willing to pull this deal now. So you've already felt comfortable with the guys that you've given up. I don't know. There's a lot of ways they can tackle it. Speaking of a lot of ways to tackle things, if you are looking for a lot of ways, creative ways, to maybe make yourself a little bit of money, go to betonline.ag. We talk about them all the time on the show. If you listen to me on Locked On, I literally talk about them all the time, period, because they're awesome. Uh, if you go to betonline.ag, and you totally should, you can find lines for all of your favorite sports, whether that be baseball, football, basketball, which never seems to end, hockey, which is somehow still going on, soccer, mixed martial arts, boxing, cricket, whatever, horse racing. If there's a sport on this earth that is played professionally, there's a good chance BetOnline is going to have a line about it. And if you don't see a line that you particularly, if you know I, I gotta have this line. Just drop them a line. Guess what? If it's a good line, they'll create one just for you. They're awesome, awesome guys at Bet Online. And if you use our promo code Armchair, they're gonna give you a nice little surprise when you make your initial deposit. But don't take my word for it. Go to BetOnline.ag, see all the stuff for yourself. BetOnline.ag, put your money where your mouth is. Or if you felt like putting your money somewhere else, you could go to KansasCitySteaks.com. This week's episode of the Platinum Suburban Podcast is brought to you by Kansas City Steaks. Caveman Chic is back in style, and nobody's doing a better job of justifying that than Kansas City Steaks. We have officially entered grilling season, so if you're planning on throwing down on some classic steak cuts, USDA Prime, American-style Kobe beef, hard-to-find specialty cuts, whatever, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need. You've also got uh, butter tender filet mignon, Kansas City strips, juicy steak burgers, all beef jumbo, hot dogs, and even complete meal combos. This is the real deal. So, Go to KansasCitySteaks.com, use our promo code SD, as in San Diego, or like short Dylan, and you'll get 10% off and free shipping. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Bring the steakhouse to your house with Kansas City Steaks. You cannot beat their meat, or their prices, but most of their meat. <laughs> I, I love that. Also brought to you, as always, by Locker Room, like I mentioned before. Make sure you're tuning in tomorrow, Thursday at 9 p.m. Uh, we're going to have a locker room, and um, we'll see who decides to join in, but they're always a lot of fun. So, um, you mentioned Max Freed kind of looking like Max Freed again. That's been a theme with this starting pitching staff. They have looked so much better over the last at least round and a half, last start and a half, last two starts apiece. They've, they've looked a lot closer to what we actually expected to get out of them on a regular basis, um, particularly Charlie Morton. Yesterday's Charlie Morton start was 
the best start he's had as a Brave, and it was a tale of two totally different starts. Those first two innings you looked at, and you're like, oh no, this is going to be a bad Charlie Morton start. And then something just randomly clicked in the middle of an at-bat to Bobby Dahlbeck. Like, literally in the middle of the at-bat, he threw one curveball that was just filthy. And then all of a sudden, from that point forward, everything he threw was filthy. You know, I was uh, I was unable to uh, to watch his start. I watched my niece graduate from high school yesterday, which was absolutely surreal. But I was I was listening to the game uh, for the first uh, first inning on the way out there, and yeah, it sounded like you know just kind of a little bit of bad luck in there. You know, there was some hard contact, and then there was the the error uh, from Ozzy. And he got in hot water. And it was discouraging at the time because even though he was doing it uh, in his previous start against a Mets lineup that was kind of decimated, it was the best we'd seen out of him, you know? And you kind of had to wonder when he's going from a decimated Mets lineup to facing the Red Sox, who are just, you know, they're stout, very, very stout lineup. And there's a lot of people in Boston that Ohio bloom a major apology. Yo, no, no doubt about it. I mean, people all over baseball uh, just owe me apology because it, it looked like he just didn't know what he was doing. Never, never be skeptical of a raise. Especially yeah, one that always. serves in every single department of the raise. Yeah, this this guy don't don't ever doubt a raise executive. So he's he's done a great job. And so with Morton, you're like maybe maybe it was just because the Mets were decimated. And in previous starts, you would see probably 80 to 85% success rate for Charlie, and then he would have that one inning where everything just fell apart. This The game against Philadelphia where he gave, gave up six runs in the first inning uh, being the most egregious violation of all of that. But seeing him go two straight starts, the second of which was against a lot of big-name recognition, whether it's Bogarts, Martinez... Uh, Devers, Verdugo, whoever, he, you know, he really came to play. And that is so inspiring to see. So when you're looking at Freed coming back and and looking kind of like 2020 Max Freed in a lot of cases, Charlie Morton looking like the guy that we all hoped he would be. I mean, Charlie and I are about the same age. I'm a little bit older than he is. And I can tell you with great, great certainty, once you get to your late 30s, we're like an old car, okay? <laughs> we will we can get you from point A to point B just as efficiently as one of these flashy newer cars. You just got to give us a few minutes to warm up in the morning, you know? So, seeing that and Max and seeing yeah, Drew Smiley, he's he really has looked pretty good over his last three starts. Full disclosure, he's going to be throwing uh, in about 10 minutes at this point. So, if he implodes, don't blame me. There no. is no jinx. And he he is, did look uh, good in the last three. Now this is this is by far the toughest lineup he's faced while he's in this decent stretch. Um, yeah, like this Red Sox lineup is no joke, especially right-handed. <laughs> like they got a bunch of mashers. The the Braves did some chicanery to to avoid throwing him against the the Blue Jays for that very reason, and I, I agreed with it at the time. Um, but mm-hmm. but Smiley doesn't have to go out there and do you know Max Reed things. He just has to do you know. Six innings and, and give up three runs, and you're fine. Like the offense, if they're if they're moving, then the offense is gonna get you enough. That's that's a quality start. Just give me a quality start. That's all you got to do. Uh, make yeah, sure the just team go is out, in. Go out and don't bury the team before you leave. That's basically all, all that you ask from him, and he's done a good job of that. So so did Bryce Wilson. Now, uh, I think that people are getting a little crazy on Bryce Wilson because he had a good start. 
Um, and like, man, he looks fantastic. Like, he looked pretty good in his last start. Again, it's the Pirates, so calm down a little bit. Um, but anytime you have a good Bryce outing, that's going to be a big positive because we haven't had a lot of good Bryce starts, and we're all chasing that NLCS game. We're all just praying that that was not the high point of his career. We're just praying that that's the actual Bryce that we're striving towards and not the outlier Bryce. So good on him. Tucker Davidson, by the way, we got to say, Tucker's start was just phenomenal. That slider of his was almost as disgusting as Wasker and Noah's. Like it was, it was filthy, filthy, which is good because the fastball, quite frankly, wasn't. And it's a little bit surprising to me when I watch Tucker because you'll see Tucker throw 97 to 100, but then you'll see him start games, and I don't know if it's just that his arm doesn't just doesn't have the stamina to hold 95 even for, for four, five, six innings, but he'll dial down to 92. And when he's not up in the zone, his fastball's flat. When he's up in the zone, his fastball has good life. It's kind of weird. Uh, but big props to Tucker, man, especially with how his, his debut start went last year and how bad that was. His start was phenomenal. It was, and that bad start happened against the Boston Red Sox, who the Braves are playing tonight. Yeah, he looked like just a completely different guy uh, in this most recent start. Once again, it, it, it was against the Mets, uh, who were who were not at full strength. But just the movement on his pitches looked good. His confidence looked really good. Uh, he took a lot of the the strong performance that he's had in AAA. He carried it over into the big leagues, and you know we, well, I didn't record last week uh, because well, I was out of town. Did. Yeah, you did a podcast. You just didn't record it. Uh, so, Sorry, so we didn't Ray. get a chance to talk. Yeah, uh, don't worry, buddy. We'll we'll get you on again soon, like really soon, probably. But so we haven't had we haven't had a chance to talk about Enoa and the fact that he's going to be uh, MIA for the next couple months. I really really don't unfortunate. Talk about it. Yeah, it's 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 a stupid injury and it's really unfortunate. But to that end, you know, when you've got Freed and Morton and Ian Anderson, who is has kind of uh, cleaned up a little bit of what uh, what appeared to be plaguing him early in the season, the, those three are looking really good. Smiley's been good for the past three, but you still you're going to have an open slot in there. You know, whether you're trying to space things out and not do a full six man rotation, but occasionally if you can squeeze in an extra day for somebody by calling up Bryce or calling up Tucker and having a spot start in there, it gives you a lot of faith in them to see them come up and just hold their own, not get spooked when things start to go weird. And that that's something that I do like about Bryce is that, you know, even if the results aren't always there, like he, he sticks to his game plan a lot of the time. And because you would see earlier outings from him in his career where he would try and change everything on the fly. He knows who he is, and he's going to stick with that. He's not afraid of contact. He really is like, I would love for you to hit a ground ball here. That would be great because that means I don't have to spend a couple pitches striking you out. He doesn't have completely wipeout stuff. Pitchers who are comfortable a lot of times can be better than pitchers who are good. So... Once again, comes back to what we talked about, Riley. You don't want to mess with the routine too much. So maybe the Gwinnett Express that Bryce and Tucker are having to go back and forth on, you know, ultimately you would like for there to be spaces for them to start every five, six days, but there just kind of aren't right now. So until that presents itself, when the, if these guys are able to perform well in AAA and then come up and perform well here, well, you know what? That's how you start to carve out a spot for yourself. So when the 2022 Braves come around, they could say, we don't necessarily have to sign 
Drew Smiley for $11 million because we're going to get the same thing out of Bryce Wilson that we would get out of Drew Smiley for, um, you know, one twenty-second of the cost. So really nice to see that. But speaking of being able to perform in AAA, uh, we probably need to discuss the fact that, uh, like I said, Tucker Davidson has carried his AAA performance over uh, so far this year. Pitching for Gwinnett, he is two and one with a 0.90 ERA, a 2.90 FIP, uh, 10.3 strikeouts per nine, and he's really cut his walks. He's got it at 1.8 walks per nine. That's plagued him at every single level uh, since he joined this organization. So him keeping the walks down, he could be real big moving forward. And this is the thing. In 2019, when you and I first really started talking about Tucker, when we really first started noticing Tucker, we started seeing the velocity gains. That's what we were talking about. This is That's why you and I were so high on Tucker. Because he's he and Kyle Muller are basically the exact same type of pitcher. Now, Muller is a much better bigger dude. Muller's a gigantic human being, but as far as the way that they approach the game and the way that they game plan, they're extremely similar. Now, Muller's got a faster average fastball. Like Muller probably averages about 94 on his fastball, maybe 95, uh, and Tucker averages probably 92, but Tucker has the faster max velocity, as Tucker has actually been clocked at 100. Um, but overall, it's been that walk rate. And for Tucker, that's kind of been the thing. It's, it's been command. It's been like, hey, man, he's got decent stuff, particularly that slider. His changeup when it's on is, is good, but it's, it's kind of iffy. When it's not on, it's, it's a, it's a <laughs> ten for the berm, uh, to, to borrow an expression there. Um, Muller and, and Tucker have had very similar struggles. They, they've struggled putting the ball over the plate consistently. And if Tucker is able to do that, Tucker's got the perfect mentality for that too. He's the guy that's going to go out there, and it's a cliche to say it, but he is one of the more competitive people in the system. Uh, and, and you and I both love Tucker. We love those stories of 19th round draft picks that just college guys that was, by the way, Tucker was drafted as a reliever. He wasn't even drafted as a starter. He got put in as a starter out of pure happenstance because they needed somebody to take a spot. And he just started, he just hung on to it. Him and Jeremy Walker were very similar when they were drafted. It's basically like, all right, we got these guys that are college guys that are going to go into the bullpen and they should be able to throw strikes. Tucker, when he got drafted, was throwing 90, was topping 92. And then a couple mechanical tweaks and boom, he's got triple digits in the tank. It's an awesome story. Um, it, it's, it's one of those where I love Tucker Davidson. Again, though, we can all be very clear and very smart when we say that, yes, Enoa's injury was a stupid injury. Uh, he's 22 years old. I've punched plenty of things before when I've been angry. Uh, I've never broken my hand doing it, but it's not for lack of, of punching a wall or, or a dugout bench or something. Um, but aside from that, Waskar will have that spot back. Until Waskar show, like, and unless Waskar comes back and all of a sudden his command just deserted him, that's still Waskar's spot. So I'm, I'm not even going to entertain this whole, oh, well, when Waskar comes back, is he going to go to the bullpen? No, he's not. He was the best starter on the team to pretend otherwise because he only throws two pitches. Uh, that's lazy, quite frankly, and it's disingenuous. I mean, for me, if I'm looking at a brave starter who's going to come back from injury and go in the bullpen, it's still Mike Soroka. Um, I mean, if, that, you know, if that's and, the only way you can keep him healthy. Yeah, I mean, and you hate that, but but success comes in all forms for prospects, and and he wouldn't be. Uh, he wouldn't be the first guy to move from being a starter to be a reliever. Usually when you see that happen, it's because of underperformance and not so much because of injury. But, uh, you know, it, it it takes all forms. And if we get Soroka back this year, you know, his health is going to... 
I kind of I kind of don't write it off. I would say, you know what? We'll we'll see you in 2022. At this point, he's still so young, and you don't necessarily have to have him. So it's like, you know what? At this point, just just we'll we'll see you next year. But it does mean you know we are going to get Tuki back here soon, uh, which. Tukey's going to get added into that bullpen. It does leave a lot. So in AAA, obviously, you're talking Tucker and you're talking Orlando Arcia. We've talked about Arcia a lot. He actually has as many homers as strikeouts. He's second in AAA with eight home runs right now. He's crushing the ball. By the way, for everybody that's like, oh, it's not going to last, he's got a 276 Babbitt. Uh, that's actually right along his career lines. It's actually, I think it's a little bit under his normal career line. Uh, all it was was changing the way that he swung. Shocker of all shockers. Milwaukee couldn't develop a hitter. Oh, no. What's the last actual hitter they developed that was any good? Ryan Braun? Am I missing anybody? First name that came to mind was Ryan Braun. I mean, Keston Jura can't hit anymore. I mean... Which they, is weird because when, when he got when he got drafted, that was the thing about him. All that he that could bat do. carried him. Yeah, yeah. And yet, Keston Jura, when he's in the minors, rakes. Once he gets to the pros, can't hit. And you can say, oh, he's quad A. Or you can say that it's, it's a bad philosophy. In the Brewers' offense would lend you to believe that, yeah, it's probably a bad philosophy. So, yes, it is possible that a former top prospect like Orlando Arcia, which he was, by the way, uh, a guy who's the same age as Dansby Swanson and very similar to Dansby throughout their careers, it's not that unheard of to think that he could make one adjustment and it changed the outcome. It's just not that shocking. Um, now, I don't think he's going to get called up anytime soon. I think they're going to wait until after the deadline so they can get the extra year of control. Um, but... Certainly, he deserves a shout-out. And enough of this, oh, it's the juiced balls. Major League Baseball is using juiced balls. They're just juiced in a different way. So telling me that, oh, well, the ball in AAA is juiced. Okay, so it goes on average five feet farther than the one in the pros. Cool. Uh, still, the exit velocities are higher on the ball in the pros. So don't talk to me about juice ball. It's just a way for people to try to take away and, and not give credit to Orlando Garcia for performing the way that he has. So he deserves a lot of credit there. But I don't want to spend a lot of time on AAA because we talk about those two guys. I want to I want to talk about people that we don't talk about a ton. So in AA, shout out to us and shout out to friend of the show Justin Dean as he's just stealing every base in sight, playing really really well. Uh, really cool to see Justin not only get bumped up to AA, which should have happened years ago, but to actually perform there too and to to you know to to prove it worthwhile to justify the faith in moving him up into AA. So congratulations to Justin Dean, and he's another guy that I don't know necessarily. I don't think he's ever a starter at the big league level, but you know who he reminds me of? I think he is what we thought Malik Smith would be, like the what Ma, what Malik Smith should have been. I think that's what Justin is. No, I, I think I think that's actually a very that's a very good comp you just made there, Dylan. You know, with um, with some of the guys, and you've you've heard it before that the jump from high A to double A is the hardest one other than whenever you make it to the majors. And for any of these guys in the Brave system, or any any system really, who played 2019 in A ball and are starting in double A in 2021 without facing that year of high A pitching, like even if these were alt site guys, that is hard. It's hard to do when you have a traditional development track. So when you are trying to just completely skip the level, that's that's super hard because the the difference in breaking pitches that you see and the quality and the frequency and control everything about the breaking pitches the off-speed pitches that you see in double a is better and for somebody like justin dean friend of the program 
is take is not only taking that step but is keeping in line with his career averages like he's the only guy on that team that's not really struggling right now he's 255 423 436 he's got two home runs which he's never been a huge power guy and through uh 18 games he has seven stolen bases that's going to be his carrying tool you know i mentioned um when we did our first minor league episode of the season that i could see um I could see him actually making the big league squad this year in kind of a Terrence Gore, Herb Washington type capacity where it's like your job is to pinch run. Like Justin Dean might be on the postseason roster just because he's the flash. He's so fast. But now if you're looking at somebody who can, you know, it's obviously going to take him a year or two to con- continue progressing through the ranks and he'll have to get by Pache, Waters, Trey Harris, Michael Harris, you know, to... um as far as prospect lists go, but I mean, Justin is an absolutely solid grinder type guy and uh, just really, um, really happy for him, really proud of him. You know, he's, he's, really he's grown dude. a lot. First, yep, he's a really nice guy. Lenore Ryan, really nice yep. guy. And, you know, he doesn't have a ton of power, but he's got a lot more power than he's given credit for. Uh, and he's just a guy that can do a lot of things. He's a perfect fourth outfielder type, and I'm, I'm happy to see what he's doing. Troy Bacon. Um, for double-A as well. Don't believe he's walked a guy yet this year. Hasn't given up a home run either. Not striking out a ton of guys. About 7.5 per 9. Uh, but would be remiss if we didn't mention that. He has looked very impressive in his 9 and the third innings, I believe, of work. Uh, he's done very good work. Granted, the pitchers in double-A are way ahead of the batters right now. And generally, it always is that way in Mississippi. But no walks is no walks. So that's very impressive. Yeah, and he, he was um, fourth-round pick in 2017. And that that was the... Uh, Kyle Wright drew Waters draft. So that's where a lot of the money went for that draft. So that's when you started see seeing underslide guys like Freddie Tarnock and starting, um, or not necessarily underslide guys, but just off the radar guys. And Bacon was right after that Tarnock pick. And and I had never even heard of him when uh, when he got drafted, but he's actually, he's done pretty well. He's, he's performed at every level and um, seeing seeing him kind of take some steps forward. You'd like to see a little, a little bit more on the strikeouts, but uh, the walks are all the way down, no home runs this year. So um, probably not a contender for the bullpen this year, but definitely somebody to to keep an eye on. And while we're on the topic of Mississippi pitchers, we got to talk about Victor Vodnik, the, the yes, diminutive... Sir. The diminutive beast, you know, he's got his, uh, the ERA is 257, the FIP is 215, it's beautiful. He's only allowed one home run in 80 innings uh, since he um, got out of rookie ball. That includes uh, 2019 at Rome when he was still working as a reliever for some of that. Um, touched 100 in uh, in a game recently, so he's, anybody, if this is your first episode of Platinum Sombrero. We were the first. Uh, Doc was the first person. <laughs> he was the first podcaster to mention Victor Vodnik's name. You will hear me talk about Victor Vodnik a lot. I really, really like him. And uh, once again, similar to similar to Troy Bacon, he's, he's a ways away. But even when Vodnik was getting in games in spring training, um, he, was, he was showing out. He didn't waste the opportunity. So uh, as far as, as double-A goes, uh, any time I get to get any news about him, just, just super happy when, when the news is good. And I still think he's going to be in the bullpen, but been fantastic in whatever role he's been in. He's a guy that I think you'll see if he, once they make the move to switch him to the pin, he will he will just basically jump to the big league level. Um, high A, there's not a ton to want to talk about, but Michael Harris obviously is doing Michael Harris things. Um, you don't. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on Michael Harris. I'll just say this: 
Michael Harris has a chance to be one of those gem prospects, one of those guys that you're on that nobody else is on, that literally your team is the only team that notices this about him. You're, you get him way farther down than you should have based on his talent level. And when the, when the mid-season top 100s start rolling out, Michael Harris is going to find his way on it. He is a phenomenal talent. He doesn't really have a weakness on the field. He's got w- one of the reasons why everybody is so dead set, or at least people that actually know what they're talking about, one of the reasons why everybody's so sold that he's going to be a major league player is he has the ability to adjust to a pitch in the middle of an at-bat. So he can get fooled and adjust in time to then take the ball down the third baseline and rope it for a double. He can literally use every part of the field. He can hit balls that are not strikes. He's not afraid to go with any sort of pitch. He's got enough speed to beat out infield hits. He plays decent enough defense. It's not great, but he's going to be in a corner anyway, so it doesn't matter. Perfectly fine for a corner. Has a strong arm because he was thrown in the 90s as a pitcher, which is what everybody was scouting him as, a la Austin Riley. And he, he knows... He knows the strike zone very well. He's just an all-around a fantastic player. I'm glad you brought up Austin Riley, actually, because uh, Harris, you know, being being the two uh, the the two-way uh, player, you know, some teams are going to be higher on you as a pitcher, and someone be higher on you as a position player. The Braves were the only team that that wanted to draft Riley as a position player. Everybody else wanted him as a pitcher. It's very similar for Harris. And well, Harris, by the way, the story on Harris, he was brought in to his workout as a pitcher. And the Braves were like, hey, yeah, you can go shag some fly balls if you want. And they were so impressed that that one little instance, they were like, okay, well, let's see you hit. That changed their draft board from having him as a pitcher to having him as a hitter. Everyone had him as a pitcher. And so the Braves were like, yeah, okay, go ahead and go shag some balls. And it completely turned it around. I, I actually did not know that story. That's pretty cool. I'm pretty sure Kylie mentioned that on the show. Oh, did he? might have to go back and listen to that. I think so. Huh. Yeah, it sounds like I need to go back and listen to that, too. In, uh, in high A, you know, Harris, you know, he's, he's really he's performing right now. Cody Milligan is another one that's, uh, that's really performing. Uh, I want to talk about Indigo Diaz. You know, that 2019 draft was the, everything that you hear about that draft. It was the deep picks. You know, it's Vaughn Grissom, Makai Backstrom, Joey Estes. We could have talked about Vaughn, by the way, because Vaughn Grissom is starting to show out, too. I'm very impressed with Vaughn. He is. Uh, but one name that never got a lot of play was Indigo Diaz. He's a 27th rounder. And first off, his name is Indigo Diaz. That's amazing. But also, in rookie ball in 2019, he had 13.06 strikeouts per nine and 1.74 walks. The walks have gone up a little bit this year to 2.89, which is still pretty good. Uh, but the strikeouts are at 18.32. Uh, said in uh, not quite as nerd speak, that's 19 strikeouts in uh, 9.1 innings. ERA is 0.96 and the FIP is 0.52. Um, this and he's closing. And he's closing. And this this could be somebody. Um, as far as relief prospects go, you know, you're you're not going to be a top 30 prospect by being a 27th round reliever out of a small school. But that doesn't mean you can't be an impact guy, you know. So somebody somebody like that is somebody that uh, you'll probably see promoted relatively soon. The 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 minor league season is only 3 weeks old. It's too soon for promotions, but Indigo Diaz is probably going to be one that's going to wind up moving to Mississippi very soon. And speaking of guys that are going to get bumped up soon, do you want to talk about Spencer Strider or should I? I absolutely do. So 
Doc, you can you can judge to this because we've talked about Strider before. We talked about Strider when the Braves made that pick because we were like, oh, that's a weird pick because Strider, very similar to Nick Lodolo. When he was coming out of high school, Strider was a very highly regarded arm. You know, it was like he had 95 in the tank when he was in high school. It was like, okay, this is a guy that might be something. Four, uh, didn't go to the draft, but decided to go to Clemson, and things just fell apart for him. Couldn't, wasn't putting many people away when he was there, could not stay healthy. Then obviously COVID happened in 2020, and just kind of everything fell apart. Uh, kind of like Lodolo, when Lodolo was coming out of high school, was one of the highest regarded prep arms, decided to go to TCU, and at TCU, for whatever reason, the philosophy never clicked with him, and he couldn't put people away, and the strikeouts plummeted, and it made people kind of change from saying that this is a four, this is a future top-of-the-rotation guy to, you know, he's probably a four, and then Lodolo gets to the minor leagues and starts striking out everybody. Well, that's what Spencer Strider is doing. I mean, he is Kang everybody. Now, yes, he's older than the league average by a number of years at low A, especially if you've got college experience, you're, you're better than your low A competition. But that does not take away from the fact that he is just toying with these dudes with one pitch. He's literally just throwing his fastball. Hardly anybody has even made him have to throw his breaking ball. And when he does, he's getting him out on that. I mean, Spencer Strider, the Braves, they, it's too soon to say it's a home run. But this is starting to look like one of those gems. Yeah, I mean, it's it's 11.1 innings. And granted, he has 26 strikeouts in there. His strikeout rate is uh, 20.65 per nine. And it went down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he hasn't allowed a run. And uh, the FIP is 0.16, which is absurd. The XFIP, which I know you're not big on expected stats, is 0.38, which uh, that's good. That's very, very good. <laughs> so, and, and the thing is, him being a college guy, and he's pitching in... In low A, I mean, if he wasn't doing this, that's when that's when you start to get concerned. But you're right. I mean, if you're throwing 99 in low A, why why incorporate a curveball? Why throw a changeup? You, you don't have right. to. Just because you can. Yeah. I mean, sure, I know you can do it. Do that in your sessions. I don't really care. If you can throw 99 and they can't hit 99, the fastball is the easiest pitch on your body to throw. So just stick with that. And for Spencer Strider... Staying healthy is just as big of a key for him as is showing out in Augusta. There's somebody else that's um, that's on that staff, another deep round pick in 2019. Yes. And a friend of the program, Gaurav Vidak, uh, he has, was raving about this kid the other day, and that's Joey Estes. Uh, let's see. Estes was a 16th round pick. At the end of this year, here's some homework for everybody. Write some of these names down. At the end of the year, go back and look at the deep round picks in 2019. You will be astonished by how late some of these guys were taken. But Estes is touching 95 in low A. Uh, he's 19 years old now. Uh, he'll be 20 soon. So he's he might be, he's young for the level, but he might be, is it possible to be, to be young for the level and also old for the level? Um, by Garab's admission... Uh, he was saying that, but based on people that he has spoken to, and Garov's very, very connected, it's why we love him so much. It's why we keep having him on the show. That out of everybody, including Spencer Strider and Chris Nunn, who I was not aware was still with the organization, but who became a viral star because of his fastball, um, this person he was talking to said that Estes has the best fastball in the system, which is strong praise. Strong. It's strong. 
Now, I'll disagree with that because I think right, he's probably third on his own team as far as that goes. But that just goes to show you just how good he's been. Uh, if anything, if I'm quibbling and saying, oh, he's not the best. He's, you know, he's behind Strider who's striking out 25,000 per game and maybe behind Rodri Munoz who's also striking out 25,000 per game. You know, it's like saying, oh, well, you know, he's, he's still a Hall of Famer, but, you know, he's not the GOAT. <laughs> right. You know. He's not inner circle <laughs> Hall of Famer. How good could he really be? Right, he's been very impressive. And cut his walk rate by like four walks per nine. He's cut it by 66%. Like, he's, he's done a phenomenal job. Yeah, so, and, and it's still early. And it's, the sample sizes are small enough to where one blow-up outing could totally tank his line. That's true for Estes, for Strider, for anybody that we've, um, that we've been. Strider needs to shave that mustache, by the way. We didn't talk about it, we were talking about him, but. That mustache is not. The I legitimately one. thought it was Josh Tomlin when I when I first saw him. That uh, I'm I'm about to rob a train in 1887. Look, yeah, he's he's nailed it. Or he looks like he looks like Doc Holliday. No, Max Fried looked like Val Kilmer in Tombstone. That was the or or like he was trying to do the uh, Jack Sparrow routine. That's I, I don't I don't know. I'm not a mustache guy. Maybe it's just me, but it does seem to me that like. The Braves have a penchant for like these college guys that start out in low A. They all seem to grow mustaches. What is that? Like, remember when we had Bruce Zimmerman on and he had the big mustache oh, going God, on that too? Thing was, that thing was really good. The thing was thick. That was 70s mustache. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know I don't know what it is. It's, me personally, I, I just remember seeing a couple years ago during a, during a deep in the season playoff run when the Red Sox all grew like the massive beards, you would see like Mike Napoli going over and he was like tugging on somebody's beard. You know, I always thought it would be like, you know, I want to see Acuna and Ozzy and just Freddie with just this massive ZZ top beard. You know, I don't, I don't get the, the mustache thing, but uh, you know, it's all personal opinion, I guess. Speaking of personal opinion, it's basically all our show is. And you know what? You love us for it and we love you guys for it. That is it. We are going to end this show so we can go and watch the game because we like to be well-informed and we're all visual learners here. So thank you guys so much for tuning into the episode. I promise we'll actually have this one up this week. Again, sorry, Rakes. Doc is the professional. He's going to be the one to make sure that we get the next one hammered out. So, Doc, it's nice to have you back, buddy, and keeping me in line. Dylan, I have bad news. I didn't click record. Ah. I'm just kidding. I know. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We'll figure this out. So everybody else out there, thank you. Y'all enjoy your week. Uh, we'll, we Maybe we'll have some, some fun news next week for everybody. So uh, y'all have a good week. We'll be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.